Well, good morning, and uh, thank you for this wonderful privilege. I hope you will understand my language. I uh, was born down in Virginia uh, and uh, married a girl from Georgia, my dear wife, Mary, and um, sometimes my language sort of runs uh, into my southern culture, and other times I try to... uh, be just a little bit more sensitive and uh, talk a little plainer. So I want to talk very plainly to you this morning from God's Word. Thank you for, Brother Landon, for this privilege. And it is a privilege uh, to worship with you today. It's a privilege to worship in a free country. Bless the Lord. Thank you, servicemen who um, have served through the years and those who are now serving Uh, But I want to bring you this morning to think about some other servants. Recently, in our Fourth of July celebrations, we uh, uh, were sitting with some veterans and they were talking about their term in service. And uh, we've been in Asia and in the jungles of uh, uh, the tropical islands. And I have a deep reverence in my heart for those men and women who serve so faithfully in our service. But I want to say to you this morning that my wife and I served under a different flag. Now that may startle you a little bit. You served under the American flag. And we're Americans, born in Virginia, born in Georgia, and we're citizens of America. But somehow God has opened our eyes and broadened our ministry to see that we are more than simply Wisconsin people. We live in a world that is hungry and dying without Christ. And we must expand our vision according to God's word and be about his business. And I want to talk to you about that this morning. I want to talk to you about the wonderful things God is doing. Now, every, every speaker comes and talks to you out of uh, their own experience and what they're experiencing with God. Mary and I want to do that this morning. And thank you again for this privilege. A very warm welcome to us, and we thank you. Uh, We uh, have been in a lot of churches. Um, This is now my 65th year in the ministry. I began preaching when I was 18, so you can figure that out pretty fast. I'm almost 85 years old, but uh, God has been good. How glorious he is. That as a young boy, I found Jesus found me and brought me out of sin into his glorious liberty in Christ Jesus, and we thank him for his victory. There's freedom in Christ. Oh, my dear friends, there is freedom. Jesus brings us to the place where God really wants us to be, out of sin, into his grace, and walking by faith. So we want to talk about this that this morning and just share with you what God is doing in some parts of the world. Born, I, I was born up in Virginia, up in the mountains in Appalachia, very uh, provincial people, odd, some people say, hicks, hillbillies. How in the world can God reach into a community like that and shake a young man about three times, fill his heart with the love of God and say, now I want you to go into my world. Where, Lord, shall I serve? God has been so good, and we're so thankful. In 1968, I was a pastor in Atlanta with my wife 
We'd come and started a new church in Marietta, Georgia. It's now a mega church. But it was a wonderful experience of being there seven years. And God said to this man, as he said to Paul and Silas, uh, now it's time for you to go out. You've been here. Now I want to broaden your vision. So in 1968, my wife and I, Mary, uh, and I took our two children, five years old and three years old. The three-year-old girl is Brother Paul's wife, Melissa. And so we went out to Indonesia, to the other, part, other side of the world. If you uh, sort of put a, take a globe and put Wisconsin on your heart and reach around to the other side, that's where your fingers are. They land on the islands that Columbus was looking for when he discovered America. Uh, we speak of these West Indies. Uh, Columbus didn't quite get to the East Indies, which is the old Dutch East Indies of Indonesia, 17,000 islands. We went there not knowing a word of the language, not knowing anything about the culture. Being Southerners brought up in America, our vision was very narrow. But God said, listen, you've got to open your heart. I own all the world. God has only one world. And uh, some pastors he puts here, some Christians he puts here, some in other parts. We just need to be aware of a world that is hungry without Christ. When we got to Indonesia, we were studying the language, and uh, we um, had been studying very hard, and our language teacher told us that there was a zoo well, we had been in Atlanta to uh, Atlanta Zoo. Some of you have seen those big zoos in Chicago and the other large cities. So our children sort of thought, now this is going to be something like Atlanta Zoo. Well, when we got there, they had two animals. They had, a, uh, they had an orangutan. Which is, this is the red, red-haired guy. And the other one was an elephant. Now, that elephant was rather strange. When we looked at him, he had uh, one ear on this side, and the other ear was gone. He had one tusk on this side, and this tusk was gone. So he had one ear on this side and one tusk on this side, and he sort of was waving his head like that. And uh, we were sort of laughing at him, and suddenly he sort of raised his, his old trunk, that proboscis, and sort of looked around, and our language teacher said, Oh, that's wonderful. In this country, we worship elephants for their strength and their power. And look, he's recognizing you. He's saying, welcome to Indonesia. And suddenly he pointed that thing at us and directly at my wife. And he said, kachoo. <laughs> and out of that long shotgun of a snout, came all kinds of things, green and yellow and purple and pink, and they hit my wife in the hair, on the face, on the dress, dripping down. I thought, oh God, if she doesn't slice him up and spit him out, I don't know what's going to happen. But very graciously, God gave her the grace not to react. She simply took her handkerchief and wiped it off. So we had a very warm welcome to Indonesia. And I've been looking around this morning to make sure we don't have any elephants in this congregation. So, uh, but did we run? No, we didn't run because God had spoken to our hearts as a pastor. 
God has spoken to us as a Christian. Actually, God has spoken to us a long time before that. My wife was born in Georgia, raised down in a farming family down in Florida. They were winter vegetable farmers. And there was a wonderful pastor there, a Baptist pastor, and my wife was going to that church. And he had been a missionary down in Haiti. And uh, God laid the burden of missions on Mary's heart as a young woman. And here I was up in Virginia. We didn't, we never met. We didn't know each other. But God spoke to my heart, laid the burden of missions on my heart through a Wycliffe Bible translator out in the old Bahia Peninsula of California. And somehow God led us to a little Baptist college over in East Tennessee. And that's where we met. And it's been fun ever since, 61 years. Don't give up, ladies. Don't give up, ladies. And uh, it's sort of hard to live with one man for 60 years, but uh, it's been good. God's been great, and we bless him. Indonesia is the largest Muslim country in the world. 280 million Muslims. Uh, it is, uh, strangely enough, uh, a very diverse country, 17,000 islands at low tide. At high tide, the government doesn't count them. But we worked on the island of Java, the island of Java, which is right next to the fabled island of Bali. It's not Bali, ladies, it's Bali. The A's are long. And we worked on Java, and we worked on Bali, and we worked in Sumatra, working among the animistic Muslims. Now, what in the world does that mean? What denomination is that? Well, those are people who follow the prophet Muhammad. Muhammad arose about 700 years after Jesus and produced a great uh, amount of error that is staggering in our world today. There are about 2 billion Christians in the world. Islam is now approaching two billion and a half. And their goal is to outpopulate the Christian population. They may not win us, but they're going to overpower us. And we see it all through Europe. You see it in, in, uh, in England. England, which was the home place of many of our English and Scottish and Irish ancestors. Only 2% of Christ people go to church in England today. And two-thirds of the churches that once produced the great gospel of Jesus and his missionary work around the world have now been purchased by the Muslims. And the cross of Christ they stamp under their foot. Dear friends, I want to caution you. Be careful in marrying a Muslim. Be careful in voting for a Muslim. Now, that's the personal opinion. But I want to say to you, dear friends, Islam is a broken cistern. It holds no water. It holds no hope. The only hope of the world is Jesus Christ. And our Lord Jesus, after he died on the cross, after he arose again, gathered his disciples together in the 40 days after his resurrection. We've just been through Easter, and we've just finished the 40 days our Lord remained on this earth. And just before he left, he gave his disciples this challenge. <clears throat> From the book of Luke, open your Bibles, go ahead, 
Open your Bibles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, it's that fourth gospel. The Muslims say, oh, no wonder Christians are confused. You have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we say, no, there's only one gospel, but there are four witnesses. But not only four witnesses, but we have almost 100 witnesses here. And God has his witness around the world. You see, all of us are giving testimony. What did Jesus say to his disciples? Luke chapter 24 Luke chapter 24, the last chapter in Luke. Look at verse 44. I'm going to read from God's holy word. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which were written about me. Some folks are confused about how to interpret the Old Testament. The center of the Old Testament is Jesus. And we find him there on every page. These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. Jesus taught his disciples not only to take the gospel first to the Jews, to their Jerusalem and their Judea. But in John chapter 4, very early in the ministry of Jesus, he took his disciples into Samaria into the difficult place, into the dangerous place, into the dark place. And there Jesus sat with a woman and talked to her about her spiritual need. And that precious woman, though she had had a terrible life, probably abused by at least four or five men, she said, Jesus said, I know you've already had five husbands. And the man you're... uh, The man you're living with now is not your husband. She had been an abused woman. But Jesus talked to her about the deepest need in her life. And it wasn't simply to draw water from the well, but it was somehow to find a deeper meaning in life. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that's talking to you, you would ask of him and he would give you living water. Have Have you tasted that living water? Say amen. Have you tasted the living water? Have you drunk deep? Is the Holy Spirit satisfying your heart that that is the only water? That's the water of life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. He is the giver of eternal life. He is the giver of the water of life. Jesus said, this is what I told you before. You guys didn't listen. Some of you have come up in the church Some of you have heard the gospel. Some of you have heard about missions from a child. Or maybe you're just new in the church and you say, what's all of this about? It's just God saying, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In the Indonesian language, And when the animistic Muslims hear that, God's Holy Spirit takes his divine word. It is the divine word of Jesus. It's the word that Jesus said. Jesus says, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything spoken in the law of Moses and the prophets and the holy writings, the katavimia, uh, that is going to come true. It has come true. You see me now. I've died on the cross. Here is the stigmata. Here are the 
places in my hands and in my side and in my feet. This is the evidence that I died. But the most glorious evidence is I stand here alive. And Jesus stood before them and they were astounded. They were realists. They had seen him and walked with him in Galilee and they'd seen him on the cross they knew he had died. The Roman government said he had died. The Jewish uh, sin, uh, uh, Sanhedrin said he is dead. And they placed him in a tomb. But oh, the glorious message of the gospel is that Christ is arisen. Hallelujah. Say it. Hallelujah. Christ is arisen. Hallelujah. And Jesus says, here I stand. And I want to tell you, fellas, the game isn't up. It's not time to sit down, sit back. Or relax. I don't care how old you are. There are no rocking chairs in the church. They're only uh, service for our king. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you and all must be fulfilled. Look at verse 45. And Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Oh, pastor, that's what you and I do. We simply read the word of God, proclaim it. And Jesus opens the minds. Oh, that God might open your mind today to see his glory. That God might open your mind to see his salvation. That God may open your mind to see the security that there is in Christ. Christ has died. Christ has arisen. And we simply throw ourselves on the mercy of the living God. That is faith. And that is the one, he is the one who saves. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. What does God want us to understand this morning? Look, if you will now, <clears throat> in verse 46. And he said to them, it is written. Underline that. Three times when our Lord was tempted, he said to Satan, it is written. It is written. It is written. These are Bible-believing people here. Our only authority is the divine revealed word of the living God. That is our authority as, the Holy, as Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, interprets it to our hearts. This is who we are as a Bible-believing people. For God, Jesus says, it is written. And we say to the world, there is, it is written. Many times as we've taken the word of God to the Muslims, they would say, where does that book come from? We have a book. We have the Quran. We've gone to the Buddhists. We have the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, we've gone to the Hindus. We have our own holy book. What's so different about this book? This book is different because God has spoken it. And this is the word God wants you to hear. It stands written. That's what it means here. What stands written? That Christ should suffer and die and rise again from the dead on the third day. That is the heart of the gospel. First of all, we see God's divine initiative. God is loving this world. God cares about this world. The Muslims say, oh, the, this world is like a clock. There is maybe a creator out there somewhere. He made the clock and he wound it up and he set it in motion and uh, God's walked off somewhere. God is absent from his universe. God doesn't care about his universe. God has no concern with your soul or with your life. Jesus said, let me tell you, that's not the God of creation revealed in the scriptures. It is written. What is it written? 
that God has a wonderful intention in this world. When our forefathers, Adam and Eve, <clears throat> sinned in the garden, God himself came walking in the garden. Read that again. There is the great beginning of the gospel. Jesus, God came walking in the garden, searching for Adam and Eve. And I want to tell you, dear friends, this is to be a searching church. They will not come. They must be brought. They will not come here unless you and I go out and tell them. God wants to use your feet. God wants to use your hand. God wants to use your voice, your language, whether it's English or French or Indian or whether it's Spanish. God wants to speak through your voice. It is written, he says. And what is written? That repentance and faith for forgiveness of sin shall be proclaimed in his name in the whole world. What is the center of our gospel? Thank God that we feed the poor. Thank God we reach out to the homeless. Thank God Jesus wants you to, to minister here and there. But the heart of the gospel is still that men are lost without Christ. This is a dying, lost world. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come simply to build a hospital, didn't come simply to build a school, although Christian schools and Christian hospitals are wonderful. He came because you and I were lost in sin and in darkness. He came on that first day looking for Adam and Eve, and he continues today. This is the great intention of God. Abraham, leave your country and come, for you have the faith of the written word. And I want you to share it with your family and with the other people of the world. In you shall all the peoples of the earth be blessed. Well, we're blessed because of the Jews. We're blessed because Abraham had faith in the only true living God who had revealed himself in the Holy Scriptures. That's the message of Abraham. They, um, unfortunately, many Jews have simply taken that, you know, as a national thing. You know, we are, we're Jews, therefore we are the chosen people. God's chosen people are those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no chosen people outside of those who repent of their sins, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, claim him as Lord, and serve him. That is the chosen people of God. And that's the divine intention of God. Throughout the Holy Scriptures, Jesus said, I told you this. I taught you this. It is written. It is written, and based on this divine intention of God, there is a redemptive mission. Oh, dear friends, I, <clears throat> growing up I, as a kid, the only thing I wanted to do was uh, get out of high school and buy a dump truck and haul gravel. You know, I thought that was absolutely the end of the world. I just wanted to, to, to get at it fast so I could live fast. But God broke my heart and broke my life and broke my will. And he said, no, I've got something else for you. Oh, dear friends, I bless his holy name for his work of grace in my life and his calling. Why? That I might preach his gospel. The gospel that repentance and forgiveness of sin shall be proclaimed. We have to tell it. 
Yes, it is written. Yes, we can give tracts. Yes, we can give Bibles. But Jesus said it's still a one-on-one matter. I, I don't know how we think we can build churches sitting behind computers. They're wonderful. IT is great. But there's nothing in the world like reaching out and talking to people about Jesus. They need your voice. They need your witness. They need your heart reaching out to them. Jesus said, I have a divine intention. And there is a redemptive mission. I, as a kid growing up, as I said, I only, only wanted to, to be rich. But God gave me another, another job. A job that I didn't seek, a job that I didn't want, a job I didn't know anything about. God said, I want you to preach my gospel. He laid that burden on my heart 65 years ago. And I have not been unfaithful to the preaching of that gospel in this country and in 16 other countries around the world with my beloved wife. You see, God says, I want you to to tell my story. So God has a divine intention. He has a global mission. He also has a very wonderful, wonderful word for the world. He says something to you and me. Look here. That, it should, that, his, that repentance and faith should be preached in his name to all nations, every nation. How many nations are there? Well, nations come and go. The United Nations says there's about 216 different registered countries with the United Nations. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, take the gospel to every ethno-linguistic group. What in the world does that mean? That means people who speak the same language, whether it's Mohegan or Oneida, whether it is English or French, whether it's Spanish or Indonesian, I want them to hear my gospel in their mother tongue. Mary and I went to Indonesia. We found in Indonesia there was something like what we call a lingua franca. That means a language spoken by all the people. It was sort of like a trade language. But we were centered on the island of Java among the Javanese people, which is a, which is a specific tribal group with a specific language. And we learned if we were going to talk to them about what God has said in his divine word, we had to talk the language that they talked at home, not on the street and not in the business and not to white faces. English is not going to get it. We're going to have to talk to these people in their own language. And it wasn't easy. Did you know the language before you went there? No. Where in the world did you study it? We studied it when we got there. We had to learn the hard way. If you can't ask, where do you buy rice? You learn pretty fast, mothers, to ask, where do you buy rice so that you can cook it for your family? And that's what we did. God gave us, you know, I've often preached on Pentecost, Pastor, and I People say, well, was it a miracle of tongue or was it a miracle of the ear? I don't know what it was. I think it was a miracle of the heart. For God spoke the heart language of every person that was there, and they heard the gospel. I'm going to tell you, dear friends, it's not easy. 
It's time-consuming. It's humbling. I was a, we were pastor of a large <clears throat> church in Atlanta. We got to the mission field. I thought I was top man on uh, the totem pole, and I realized I couldn't even say one, two, three in Indonesian. It's humbling, but again, God says, I speak all languages. The Muslims say, if you don't speak, if you, you, if you can't understand Arabic, and you don't speak Arabic, you can't understand the Quran. And sometimes we think, well, if you can't speak English, you can't understand the Bible. That is not so. You see, this is written... It is written so that God's Holy Spirit takes those words and speaks to the human heart. And does he do it? Yes, he does. Are those, can those people be saved? Yes, they can. Mary and I had the wonderful privilege as your missionaries. You may say, well, you know, we're not... We're not Baptists, you know, we didn't contribute anything, but you are contributing to missionaries. You have a missionary gift, you have a missionary collection, and I want to thank you for your participation in that. I want to thank you for loving missions and praying for missions and giving for missions. And if you don't, teach your babies, teach your children to tithe into this church, and a part of that will go for missions. This is what God wants. He has a wonderful divine intention. He has a redemptive mission. It's also global. Global. And we need to open our minds to see God has, owns all of this world. Well, it's not possible for Muslims to be saved. Oh, yes, it is. A Christian Arab, an Arab Christian woman, was in Cairo last year. She was going down to a studio uh, uh, where they were going to record some Christian songs. And uh, being a, 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 an Arab woman, she had her head covered and got in the taxi with a great big brawny guy, sort of like this guy right here. You know, and he had a great big black beard and fierce eyes. And, she just handed him a piece of paper, wouldn't even speak to him. In Cairo, women do not speak to men on the street. No married woman would speak to a taxi driver. You simply give him the address, and he took it, and they took off. And as they were driving, the Holy Spirit said to her, tell him that Jesus loves him in Arabic. She said, Lord, now wait a second. This is Cairo. This is not Kokana. <laughs> in this country, women do not speak to men in public. The Holy Spirit said, tell him that Jesus loves him. They went on. She couldn't get out of her mind. She died trying to think about the songs they were getting to record. But the Holy Spirit just washed the songs away and kept saying, burning her heart, tell him that Jesus loves him. And she got to the place. They stopped in front of the building. And she got out. And women do not hand men money. They simply lay it down. And he picks it up. And she started to turn away. And the Holy Spirit just said, stop. 
She froze. She turned back to him. She said, I didn't say it, but God's Spirit said it through me in Arabic. Jesus loves you. And she stepped back very quickly and turned. And when she did, she heard the scream. And she thought somebody had hit her or something. She turned around, and the man in the car, tears were streaming down his face. This great big giant of an Egyptian man with a big beard and great big guy and he said wait wait what did you say she said Jesus told me to tell you he loves you he said please don't go please don't go tell me tell me she was afraid to tell him people were gathering she ran into the building and called one of the men said come out this man wants to know about Jesus so one of the Christian pastors came out and began to speak to him. And they brought the man into the building and he, they, they talked to him and realized he had had a vision from the Lord. He had been to the mosque that morning. He never goes to the mosque, he said. But his father-in-law had caught him cheating on his daughter and told him the night before that before the day was ending that day, he would cut his throat. And he said, I'm scared to death. So I, I did the only thing I did. I got religious real quick. I went to the mosque this morning and I bowed down. I didn't know what to say. I just said, oh, God, if you're there, help me. And he suddenly said, I heard a voice saying, I'm Jesus. I love you. I'll help you. And he said, I shook my head and jumped up. I didn't even finish praying. I ran out the door, got on my sandals, got in my taxi, and I drove away. What in the world was that? Was somebody playing a recording? Did somebody say something? I don't know. But I kept wondering, what in the world does that mean? Jesus loves you. And when you said a moment ago, when you got out of the taxi, and that woman said, Jesus loves you, I knew that there had to be something more than my Muslim faith. That man was gloriously saved. God is doing strange, wonderful things in the world. I conclude with this. Mary and I were on the island of Bali, fabled Bali with all of its exodia. It's a Hindu island, greatly in need of the Savior. We have some churches there, not many. But I, we were preaching that Sunday in the Grace Church in Denpasar. <clears throat> and there was a lady leading the singing, quite like this lady here with the guitar. She was leading the singing, did a very good job. And after I spoke that morning, she said, I, I, I recognize your voice. Uh, so we're sort of like Galileans. You know, they said to, to Peter, we recognize you because you, you have a Galilean accent. Well, the, the tribal group that we work with sort of has an accent. And I was, when I was preaching in Indonesian, she picked up the accent. She said, I know that voice and I know your accent. You're from central Java. And I said, yes, we are. <clears throat> Mary was with me and she said, uh, I think you came to my village one time. My wife and I were village evangelists going out in the country from house to house, 
eating place to eating place, places where you drink tea, anywhere people were gathered. We would sit for a few minutes, and they always wanted to know, who in the world are you? You don't look like us. You don't act like us. You don't talk like us, except you talk our language. Who are you? And we would tell them, give them opportunity to share that who, who we were and who we were and, and the gospel of Jesus. And we were in this village uh, of Choqueran. She said, I, I, I think you came to my village, Choqueran. Do you remember Choqueran? And I said, yes, with an Indonesian pastor who had started a church there. She said, I remember one Christmas when I was a little girl, about seven or eight years old. One, one, one Christmas, there, you had a, a service in our village, and all the people were, were running to the house of Paxastro because there was a, 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 a boy there. He had blonde hair, and he had a magic box. And when he held it in his arms and he hugged that box, it made the most beautiful music in the world. And she said all the kids were mesmerized. How did he do that magic, hugging that box? And it was our 12-year-old Brent playing the accordion. And she said, Mommy, Mommy, all the kids are going to listen. I want to go. And her mother said, No. Your father is the village chief. We are Muslims. Your father would be embarrassed if you went. She said, I did the only thing a girl knows how to do. I started crying. And I begged my mommy. My mommy said, okay, you go, but you sit in the darkness. You sit under the furthest coconut tree and don't let anybody see you. She said, I was off. And I listened. And I'd never heard anything like that in my life. I didn't know what the words were. I just had never heard music like that. She said, years later, when I was at the university, Gajabada University in Yogyakarta, she said, I started going with a young man. And uh, we were getting pretty, moving on with our romance. And he said, well, before you marry, before we talk about marriage, I have to share a secret with you. And she said, I didn't know what in the world he was going to say, you know, whether he was a drunkard or what. But she said, uh, before we marry, I have to tell you, I'm a Christian. And if we marry, we will follow the Christian religion. She said, I didn't know what that meant, but we started going to a church in Yogyakarta. And the first time I went to that church, somebody was playing an old pump organ, you know, like this. And I heard that music again that I heard as a child with that boy squeezing that magic box, the accordion. And as I listened, I knew there was something strange, almost magical. It said something to my heart, and I listened to the words, and I learned that Jesus loved me and died for me. And I gave my heart to Jesus. And my husband now are serving the Lord. He's the director of the uh, bank Indonesia, the Bank of Indonesia in Bali, and I work in the bank, and we're serving here in this church because we heard the gospel in our language, in our village, 
not from a preacher. She didn't remember a thing I said. <laughs> but she remembered the boy with the magical box. Would you pray for Brent this morning? Brent left at 8 o'clock to go to Milwaukee, lives in Philadelphia, going to have a foot operation in the morning. And we're concerned about him, so pray for Brent. But Brent is a Christian songwriter, marvelous composer. And God works not only through preachers, but through laymen, through children. Your gift. And what does that mean here, Ken? God's divine intention. God wants to do what he's doing on the other part of the world right here in Kakana. And God wants to do what? He wants to bring people to faith in Christ. And there's another wonderful thing here. You cannot escape it. Jesus said, verse 48, you are my witnesses. And Jesus places that personal burden on the heart of every disciple. Well, the, what about the 12 disciples? Yes. What about the early church fathers? Yes. What about the reformers? Yes. What about our ancestors? Yes. But not me, not my generation. Oh, dear friends, the church in America will die just like the church in England has died unless we become witnesses for Christ. Don't be ashamed, young people in school to say that you're a Christian on the job. Come on, guys. Don't just take the name of Jesus in vain. Take the name of Jesus glorious. It isn't always our shirts or our hats with Jesus' names, but it's Jesus written on your heart and your way of living. That's what Christ wants to do in the world. Well, that's what he did over there. I want to tell you, dear friends, God wants to bring revival in Kalkana. He wants to bring revival in this church. And this church, because it is a church that believes in this word, it is written. And we believe in the way Jesus interpreted it for us. And we believe his burden is our burden. So let us be faithful. I want to thank you this morning for the privilege of being here. May God help you. May God bless you. Let us be prayerful for missions. And when mission offering is taken, let's, let's give. I want to thank you again. God bless you.